Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Inside the Studio, presented by iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Joe Levy. Fire up the pyro, turn the amps up to 11, and don't skimp on the glitter. My guest this episode is Adam Lambert, a man who seems to have been born wearing fingerless leather gloves and platform shoes, or certainly born to wear such things. We talked about the four years it took him to make his new album, Velvet, about what it would take to bring him to Broadway, and about his experience opening the 2019 Oscars singing We Will Rock You, and we are the champions, with Queen. Now, few performers appear to have been quite as preordained to be a rock star as Adam Lambert, whose origin story is equal parts Jim Morrison in the desert and a CinemaScope movie musical. It's the sort of collision of accident, preparation, and lifelong dream that feels like it was cooked up in a writer's room rather than being something real. But real it was. Sometime around 2008, Lambert, who'd started out singing on cruise ships at age 19 and had worked hard to land a spot in a Los Angeles production of the Broadway musical Wicked, was in the Nevada desert. He was there for the party-slash-pagan-throwdown Burning Man, and he was tripping on mushrooms. He looked up at the sky and had a psychedelic epiphany. I realized that we all have our own power and that whatever I wanted to do, I had to make it happen he later said. And what he wanted to do was stop being a chorus boy and try out for American Idol. So he auditioned for American Idol's eighth season, singing Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody and nailing the drama and high notes well enough that he didn't just make the show, but people started sending Queen guitarist Brian May the video of Adam's audition because this just might be the singer you're looking for. Flash forward 18 weeks, and there's Adam singing We Are the Champions alongside Queen themselves in the American Idol finale. Flash forward a few more years from there, and Adam's second album, Trespassing, has made him the first out-and-proud man to top the Billboard album charts, and he's on tour with Queen as their frontman. Adam and I spoke after his EP, Velvet Side A, came out last year, and it's now been expanded into a full album. 
In a couple of ways, this is music about liberation. It's Lambert's first release on an independent label, and he oversaw the A&R in production, so it's his first time calling all the shots himself. But in some ways, Lambert's whole career revolves around liberation. In 2009, shortly after he finished Idol as runner-up to Chris Allen, Lambert was on the cover of Rolling Stone. He took the opportunity to make clear something that he'd never really kept a secret, but he also hadn't talked about directly during the competition. I don't think it should come as a surprise for anyone to hear that I'm gay, he explained. He also told Rolling Stone that he had performed the Sam Cooke song A Change Is Gonna Come on Idol with the fight for marriage equality in mind. Lambert's second album, Trespassing, found him still singing about freedom. It finished with a song called Outlaws of Love about that same fight for marriage equality. At the time of his third album, the original High, in 2015, he was celebrating a different sort of freedom. This was his first album since he left the management company and record label he'd been with since Idol. Now, liberation is a core value of rock and roll from the start in the 1950s when the music was about freeing the body and letting the mind follow. One of the things about rock stars has always been that they live free. They move, sing, dress, and act in a way that most of us just can't in our day-to-day lives. And you only have to take one look at Little Richard or Elvis or Mick Jagger or Lady Gaga to know that. Adam Lambert has always been really good at embodying this core value from his eyeliner to his studded boots. He lives and performs free. So I was interested by the songs on Velvet Side A that were about a kind of struggle for freedom, like The Stranger You Are, where Lambert sings about feeling the more different you are, the more they try to keep you locked in the dark. When I first heard that, I thought, he gets to be whoever he wants. He's Adam Lambert. He's already fought this battle, but even so, he still had to struggle to find a way to make the music he wanted. Some of this is like me having to affirm it to myself. I went to a couple different writing sessions with great, great talented people where what we ended up with at the end was something that sounded just sort of like everybody else's song right now. I would like walk away from that and listen and be like, well, how am I so easily led? Why did I just fall into that? And that's, you know, has to do with a lot of just trying to be a good team player, but it's so easy to fall into the same thing that everybody else is doing. And it takes a little bit of extra work and discipline and sort of clarity in order to fight against that and do your own thing. The fight to do your own thing. After 10 years, Adam Lambert wanted to make his own music his own way. Something more geared to a funk strut than a pop bounce. He was a little tired of the Top 40 carnival. It's important to remember just how central and how good he was at that carnival. His first album, Four Year Entertainment, in 2009, drew on what was happening right then in pop music, but it also drew a blueprint for much of the next decade. It's packed with producers whose impact was already clear, like Max Martin and Dr. Luke, but it also features producers whose impact was just then unfolding, like Ryan Tedder and Jeff Basker. The co-writers include pop pros like Linda Perry, but also Pink and Lady Gaga and Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. And this is five or six years before alt-rock got sucked into the pop mainstream with Caroline Polachek from Chairlift getting a co-write on a Beyoncé track and Rostam from Vampire Weekend producing and writing with Carly Rae Jepsen. On Lambert's second album, Trespassing, in 2012, he takes a bigger hand in the songwriting, co-writing eight of the 12 tracks, but things are no less major league. The producers include Dr. Luke again, along with Pharrell Williams, and Bruno Mars's crew, the Smeezingtons. The original high in 2015 finds Lambert working in Sweden for the whole album with Max Martin, who's then riding high with huge hits for Taylor Swift in The Weeknd. And this is probably Lambert's most coherent album from start to finish, but as he explained to me, it presented its own set of challenges. And I don't just mean spending two months in Sweden during the dead of winter when it can be dark for almost 18 hours a day. So when he made Velvet, 
he wanted to step outside the whole race to the toppermost of the poppermost, as the Beatles used to put it. He wanted to make something a little more organic. Which is why last year's EP was called Velvet, Side A. There's that sense of throwing back to the old-school way of recording albums in the pre-digital vinyl era. A bunch of people sitting in a room, writing songs and playing them. It wasn't just a matter of deciding that and going into the studio. He had to unlearn a lot of the lessons of the previous 10 years and free himself of expectations. He talked with me about how he did it and about where he drew his inspirations from and also about the song he wrote in a castle in the south of France, which turned out to be a lot less glamorous than it sounds. Here's what else he had to say. Adam Lambert, welcome to Inside the Studio. Thank you. So, Velvet. Velvet. Side A. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's get right into it. Two questions. Why Velvet? Why Side A? Velvet. um, I I mean, it's a feeling. It's soft. It's smooth. It's vintage. It's classic. It made me think of fabulous suits from the 70s. It made me think of a curtain to a stage. Uh, It made me think of... Velvet Goldmine, which is my favorite film, and also The Velvet Rage, which is an incredible book. It means a lot of different things, I guess. Let's dig into two of the things you just mentioned. First is Velvet Goldmine, which, for those who don't know, is a 1998 film Mm -hmm. directed by Todd Haynes. Yes, you are like a walking wiki. I I, (laughs) I love it. I am a walking wiki. Uh, And and this is—Todd Haynes, of course, went on to direct Far From Heaven, uh, Carol, and also that Bob Dylan movie that is loosely based on the legends of Bob Dylan, I'm Not There. But Velvet Goldmine was his glam rock movie. God, it's so pretty. It's so fun to watch. It's just visually nuts. And all the actors in it are like bananas. They're all amazing actors. Jonathan Reese Myers and Ewan McGregor yep. in parts loosely based on Bowie and Iggy. Am I remembering that's, that right? That's what it looks like, yeah. Um, what was it like when you saw that? Um, I saw it a couple I don't think I saw it right when it came out. I saw mm. it a few years later. And I think I was in my early 20s living in L.A., and really kind of in this m- moment of falling in love with classic rock in a way that I hadn't before. Um, you know, it was like around the house when I was growing up, but then I like really dove into it on my own, you know, with with the help of the internet and like really discovering. Did you have the feeling that glam rock was kind of a, an almost buried history, that, that that we knew some of the music but didn't know everything? Yeah, it's like very it. of the time. Yeah. yeah, it was like a moment. Um, and I, I think... I think it resonated with me just because everybody was so dressed up. And I love, I, you know, they we had bands in the 80s that were really, you know, they tarted up, as they like to say. But I was never really that into hair metal. I was, I think the 70s stuff is just more me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think I was just drawn to it visually first and then kind of fell in love with the sound of it. Yeah, I like, it just felt like a fit. I liked the camp nature of it. I liked the theatricality. It felt like something that like... Uh, I don't know, it resonated with me. It's so interesting that you brought up hair metal, which is derived musically, stylistically from glam rock. No glam rock, you, you don't really get what happens in the hair metal days. Right. But the the music and certainly the, the personas are not as gender fluid as glam rock was. Right. I mean, it, it, it sort of takes the look without necessarily the politics of it. Yeah, I feel you're totally right. Like, I'm, if you look at most of those '80s bands, like, yeah, they they were dressed like Sunset Boulevard hookers, but they were sort of all ma- like, weren't they kind of all like womanizers, basically? I mean, probably that was sort of like what they were hinting at. It was that frat boy kind of mentality. I think it was more than a hint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like in the '70s, you had artists that were sort of like Izzy or Isn't He. You know, you had Bowie, for example, who like famously was sort of like, quote-unquote, bisexual. I don't know if he ever really actually said the word. I think he did. Um, and that was like trailblazing at the time. And then you also mentioned The Velvet Rage. It's a, a book by a Los Angeles therapist. Do I have that right? Yeah, it's like a focus group study of a group of men. It's an older book, so it's it's slightly, you know, slightly out of date now if you read it today, but... 
some of the psychological ideas in it are, you know, are, are timeless, I think. It breaks down why gay men are the way they are. Um, sort of the patterns, the types. And I read it when I was young and I was sort of like just coming into my own in L.A. And it sort of like filled in a lot of my question marks. And I think with gay culture, especially 20 years ago, we had lost so many of our elders with the, the AIDS crisis in the 80s. So there, the gay community didn't have a lot of like wisdom left. We had lost a lot of our wise ones. And the rage in question, if I remember this right, is about internalizing lessons from the world around you, that who you are or what you're feeling isn't acceptable. I think the tagline is growing up gay in a straight man's world. So it's, it's yeah, it's about just being different and how that affects people, sort of the common effects of it. People that are overachievers, people that are um, you know, that have a Peter Pan complex, people that have daddy issues, people that, like it's these kind of quintessential therapy issues. Because you'd mentioned this book uh, previously in reference to Velvet, Side A, and we should be clear, Side B is coming. It's coming. <laughs> and then I was listening to the EP and, and that first song, Superpower. Yeah. Where you're saying, try to put me in a box, make me something I'm not. There's something missing and I'm pissed and I got something to say. Well, first off, who puts Adam Lambert in a box at this point? <laughs> who, tri- who, who, who dares? Who? Yeah, who? <laughs> but is some of that older feelings, or, or is that lyric referring to things that you've been going through recently? I think it's kind of always going to be around. It's always sort of there, just being a, somebody that's different, that's daring to be different. You're always going to encounter uh, opposition to that. You're always going to encounter people that don't get it or that are scared of it. And also, you know, yes, I wrote it from a first person and I and it is about my experience, but I also really intended it to be something that could be an anthem for a lot of different people. Because I think everyone's had that moment where somebody's told them what they can or can't do or what they should be or shouldn't be. And yeah, it's frustrating. And the superpower in question, of course, is drawing really on your own strength, right? Yeah, exactly. Like my, my superpower is staring to be exactly who I want to be. That's, uh, you know, my superhuman thing that I can draw upon. And it's, it's it's not ever present. Sometimes it gets snuffed out. Sometimes it gets overshadowed by other things. But got to keep fighting the good fight. I think two points here. First, that may be your superpower, but also you can sing like a motherfucker. <laughs> Well, there, that's in the song, too. So there's some there's some wailing. <laughs> and second, you, you just said, not always there. Sometimes it, it gets snuffed out. People, you know, sometimes it's a struggle. Yeah. When recently? Can you think of a time when well, it's Well, been... I mean, right when I was starting the process on this album and I was starting writing it, I had just finished touring my, my last album, the original High. I had also done some touring with Queen, and I was just a bit fried. I got home and I was like, Whew. So this you takes know? us to about 2016 or so? Yeah. And I was just like wiped out. And I felt like a little disillusionment within the industry. Um, you know, I love music. I love performing. I love that interaction with fans. All that stuff is the good stuff. But the business side of it can get toxic and it can get draining and it can make you just sort of feel inadequate or affect your confidence. And I think I was at a point where it had. I'd felt like, oh my gosh, am I getting enough return on my investment? Because I'm working real hard, and I don't know if I'm seeing the results that are making me feel content. So I had to really kind of like sit down and like journal <laughs> and talk to friends and kind of get back down to like, okay, why do I do this? What is the real reason? Is that a good enough reason? How do I insulate my creativity so that I feel like that's a little more sacred and that's something that's mine? And there's a handful of different ways where I had to, things that I did to sort of make that happen at that point. And I think it's important that we stop here for a second and just linger on this. This wasn't a moment when you'd been brought down to your lowest necessarily. You had just been touring with Queen. Yes, There's got to be a certain dream come true 
element to that. Absolutely. If we go back and look 10 plus years ago, you're auditioning for American Idol singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Now you're on stage, (laughs) right? And these are big crowds. Yeah. And still you're coming away from that thinking, am I getting what I want? Am I getting what I need? I think that was reflected more in my my solo stuff. That was sort of where that feeling was being generated from. And I think in a perfect world, in my fantasy, is like having a balance between the two is actually really great. I like being able to do both and feeling a sense of accomplishment from both. And they're very different. With Queen, obviously, you got these hits that are iconic. Audiences all around the world are like singing along with us. It's like I'm getting to be on stage with legends. I mean, it's a big honor. It's a big thrill. But the sense of ownership is different. You know, I I didn't create that music. I didn't originate that music. And so I always feel like I'm I'm being more of service when I'm with Queen. I'm I'm a catalyst to let Brian and Roger do their shows. I'm there to help the audience celebrate Freddie Mercury. And it is a great gig for that. But with my stuff, it, it satisfies a different part of my artistry. You know, these are songs that I've created, that I've put out, that have my name on them. So let's dig into that side for a little bit. You're saying you're coming off the original high. This was a record. You'd gone from RCA to Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. You'd gone to Stockholm to work with Max Martin and his crew. Yeah, and there was a group called the Wolf Cousins, which is like a writer's collective. And they were great. I spent like two months there, the dead of winter. (laughs) It was nice and cold. I've spent a lot of time (laughs) in Sweden, and you went at the wrong time of year. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, and and for those who don't know, when you go to Sweden in the dead of winter, you could get up at 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning and it's pitch black. Yeah. And the sun comes up and then it sets at three. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I had to take those vitamin D pills, you know. <laughs> but one thing that's really interesting about working with this crew is there's something right about that match because these are people who like they're interested in pop they're interested in dance Mm -hmm. but they're also really interested and capable when it comes to guitar rock and roll yeah so it it should be a good catalyst good collection of songwriters and interests for you and it produced a strong record yeah i mean i'm a huge fan of that whole group um max is he's genius you know he's an amazing hit writer and they're so good and they're so polished and they have they have it sort of dialed into almost like a science. Like they really know what works. They know what sounds great. Um, and so being a part of that was was great. Like I felt like, okay, I'm in really good hands. They know what they're doing. They know how to craft great pop records. And was it a different process going there and working with this collective than albums past? Yeah, it was a bit different. I mean, I think that the original High had a little more of a cohesion to it because I was working with all of their people. You know, Max executive produced it, so it was sort of like he had his crew all over it. And I loved those songs. They were really good, but I wasn't as involved in the process. I wrote with them for two months, but to be honest with you, the majority of the songs sort of started as other people's songs. You know, I might have added a couple things here and there, but I was less in the driver's seat on that. And I was really happy to get in the passenger seat with all these amazing guys because I know what they do. But again, that's sort of like an exercise in trying to be a competitor in the business. It felt like a business move to me. It felt like I was playing the game. And I'm you know, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's play the game. Let's do it. You know, I get it. That's top 40. But yeah, at the end of it, I've, I, there was a sense of, okay, I did that. I played the game. I worked with like the best of the best in pop. And Ghost Town turned into a hit, which was awesome. I was really excited about that. I love that song. Um, and then it was like, then it kind of tapered off. So I was like, okay. And when I got down to like, what do I want to do next? I, I thought to myself, okay, no shade to them. Cause that was a great experience. I loved working with them. They were really sweet too, but I want to just do something different. I want to go, not only do I want to create different sounding music than I've created, but I want to go about it differently. I don't need to go to the best of the best of the best because of the name check value. I want to I want to start more like grassroots approach on this one. I want to like sit in a studio with musicians who play instruments and songwriters that I've met and just do this sort of my way and kind of start slowly and and not rush and not be answering to a room, like a boardroom. I want to just do this from like an artist place. A little more organic. Yeah. Right. Kind of the, these are the stories that we grow up with. If you're a Fleetwood Mac fan or if you're a Led Zeppelin fan, we, we went into the room 
we traded some ideas, nothing really worked, and then somebody started playing a guitar riff, and that man's name was Slash, and <laughs> Axel heard it, and he thought, oh, there's a child who's sweet, and she's mine. There are lots of stories of great songs that come about more accidentally than yeah. that scientific way that you were talking about. It's also, the you know, the songs that were created in the Swedish camp, it's like really intended for radio. It's like, how do we win at radio? And it's, look, it's like a great business model. It's awesome. I, who knows? Maybe I'll go back and do more of that kind of music at some point. But I, I guess in a way, it's like I wanted to be a part of the organic experience that like what you're saying, like that rock legends are made out of, like the way you hear, what you read, what you you hear about, like from an artist's place. Like how does it come just from the heart? So let me ask you a question, because the other thing that you were talking about being of service in Queen, you're being of service with rock legends. Yeah. Right? Did that have any effect on your desire to to do something a little differently, maybe a little more organic, like the way that some of that music was built? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I'm, I'm so in love with that time period, and I'm so in love with the band, and I've heard all these stories, and I thought, yeah, wh- what if I try it that way? What if I try it like my heroes and my my coworkers? <laughs> you know, and I and I I do think that I also had this feeling of like, you know what? I'm in the driver's seat on this one. Even if I don't land a top 40 hit single, I will feel more content and a sense of accomplishment knowing that I did it my way. You had to nurture your soul. Yeah. You had to, to really, you were saying, guard your creativity. Yeah, this one was for me. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So tell me about it. How did it start? What happened? Um, what do you want to know? 
Well, I mean, literally, how did it start? What were the first songs that came together, and, and, and who did you want to work with? I heard a song called Electric Love by Bournes, and I fell in love with it. I thought it was amazing, and I was like, who wrote this song? I looked him up, and his name was Tommy English, and I found, I don't know how I got in touch with him. I might have written him on Instagram. I'm not sure. It's interesting that you mentioned this song because this is a song that really walks that line that that a lot of younger artists are walking in yeah. between pop or radio and something a little more organic or indie. Yeah. It's a super catchy song. Yeah. But it does feel different. Yeah. I mean, we sat down and there was like, uh, I think Ilse was the other writer um, and she got it behind the drum kit. And Tommy and I started looking at like guitar riffs. And I was like, I want to think of like sort of Daft Punk meets Prince meets, I don't know what. Like we just started like listening to music and just kind of jamming. And that's how it was born. And I, and I, I we came up with a melody first and then we kind of looked at each other, what was it about? And we were like, let's do something kind of empowering, something strong. Something you'd want to, like, strut to. And are we talking about the origins of superpower this here? This is superpower, or, okay. yes. Sorry. Right. Man, no, yeah. I mean, you said strong and something yeah, yeah. I wanted to strut to, <laughs> and immediately I thought either we're talking about the opening of Saturday Night Fever or your song Superpower. <laughs> yeah. All one and the same. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one who thinks this shit ain't okay. Let's stick with this song for a second because I, I was really struck by the opening lines. There's something missing and I'm pissed and I've got something to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's missing? I think it was that feeling, that feeling of like, it's like, how do I articulate it? That feeling of like pride in my work in a way. You know, it's the thing. This is the thing. I don't want to like slag off anything I've done in the past because that's not really what this is about. It's it's it just wanted a different sense of accomplishment, a different feeling, a different version of it. And let's make perfectly clear that that's okay because again, lots of the legends that we love, whether we're talking about the Beatles or Freddie Mercury or Madonna or David Bowie, mm-hmm. thought, okay, I did what I did already. Now I'm ready to do something else, right? Yeah, like right? the reinvention thing. Yeah. I mean, I've always been in love with that. Yeah. That's, you know, the, my favorite artists are that way. Right. Yeah. So then let's go to uh, our second verse here. I know I'm not the only one who thinks that shit's not okay. I wanted to reflect sort of the state of, the, you know, the world a little bit. The country, my community. That feeling of like angst, like I, this isn't right. This isn't sitting right with me. Um, you know, and that could apply to a lot of different things right now. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, no matter which way you lean politically, it does feel like shit's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're very good at making each other feel like shit's yeah. not okay right <laughs> yeah, now. exactly. This is interesting, and, and, and I want you to tell me just a little more ab- about this, because this is a motivating factor for what you're doing now, is yeah. it not? Yeah, having the mission to make people feel stronger— to give people pride, to give people confidence. I think that having that as like a baseline for this whole project, that felt important to me. Um, you know, not just, again, the intention of not just writing a hit, but writing something that will help people, will make people feel good um, or cathartic or whatever the emotion is, you know? And I I think superpower has the power to do that. And, and you were saying Daft Punk meets Prince meets I don't know what. Um, but <laughs> but you, you've mentioned... Uh, before that, that Prince was a guiding factor throughout the process. Am I right about that? He's one of many. Yeah, I mean, obviously Prince is like Prince, but it's also sort of genre. Like it's just like falling into funk a bit more and 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 listening to a lot of that and falling into more soul music from the seventies. You know, seventies Motown is the shit. It's great. I think as a whole, I think Velvet is more soulful than I've ever gone. And maybe that just has to do with growing up a little bit and being a little more comfortable with my voice and in my own body. Because, again, we all know you can sing, as previously stated, like a motherfucker. (laughs) Um, But in a more unadorned setting, Mm -hmm. there's a little more room. There's a little more air for you and what you can do on this. Yeah, it's less formulaic, I think. 
And vocally, you don't have to go for the rafters for us to notice you. You can just sing. I think that that has come with age. I think mm. that I think if I look back on like my experience on American Idol, I was really screaming a lot. You know, <laughs> I was go- like, oh, "Hi, I can sing." Um, I think that there was a youthful you're showing off, uh, show off slash trying too hard kind of thing in moments. And I think as I've gotten older, I just, you trust the melody a little bit more, you know, you just kind of like, you realize that, 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 that doesn't always really draw in an audience. It can, it can actually have the adverse effect of pushing them away a little bit. That's interesting. So I've, I've just, I've just, I'm growing a little bit, I think. I wonder if you can tell us a little more about the side A. Talking about vinyl. Yeah. I right? mean, I mean you're, you're, you're pointing to the classic yeah. inspiration, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the project is very vintage sounding, very vintage influenced. And I, I knew I wanted to break up the release into two parts just as a way to sort of extend the whole experience. And so I thought I would name it Side A, Side B. But you you didn't grow up in the vinyl era, right? You, Not necessarily, you... but I grew up with vinyl. I mean, my father had so much vinyl in the house. And my mother, too. I mean, I I actually have some boxes of her old vinyl that she's given me. And that's what I grew up hearing. That was my first idea of what music was. So in a way, the, like those records that I heard around the house were like the building blocks of what music is to me. Do I remember this right? Your dad was... A college DJ mm-hmm. and more than a bit of a deadhead? Yeah, more than a bit. I don't know how to compare him to other deadheads, but he definitely would like, dad's gone for the week. He's going to a Grateful Dead concert with his buddies. Even though the concert was probably one night, I'm like, he's gone for a week? Oh, okay. Wait, so when you grew doing. up, your dad would take off for a week? Every to... once in a while, yeah. Wow. A couple times a year, maybe. Your dad was cool. He was cool. He still is, yeah. So you grew up with the idea the dead weren't your band. I never really got into the music, no. But, you but I, up, I recognize a couple of the songs here and there, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of my father. But you grew up with the idea that fandom inspires you to go take a trip to see your favorite band. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, and tie-dye. <laughs> All right, let's talk about that for a second, because now you've opened the door for me to ask you about being in hair. Yeah. When you were in your early 20s? Yeah, in Germany. In Germany. That was a, a very transformative experience. I was pretty green before going into that. I was kind of innocent. I definitely lost some innocence out there in Berlin. <laughs> wow. Uh, you could a, say place so. where, a place where much innocence can be lost. Yeah, it's, it's kind of made for that, yeah. So your first Rolling Stone cover story, 10 years ago in 2009... Yeah. And I quote, in Germany, he started smoking pot (laughs) and tried ecstasy for the first time. Wow. Yeah. He dyed his hair black, (laughs) went to his first sex club. Oh, my God. Quote. I said all that. (laughs) I was always obsessed with the 60s and the experience of living through that time. I wanted so badly to be the hippie in the show. We I, yeah, and we were like we were living a version of the of the characters we were playing for sure. You skipped right over the first sex club, but the okay. Se- <laughs> well, free love, you know, it's all very hair. Um, yeah, it's the late sixties, early seventies. It's just like that's. I feel like we're actually living in a time now that reflects that. How we, so? Well, I mean, look at Nixon and how he was with all the BS that he pulled and how he was hated and and impeached and. We have a very strong counterculture movement right now that's creating a strong divide with the generation above them. I think we're looking at like people really like being very sensitive to civil rights issues right now, race relations, gender, sexuality, all the stuff that sort of the hippie movement was exploring. So it's, there's a lot of parallels right now. I certainly see what you mean because it was a, a time of people struggling for freedom and yeah. also... A division in the country, as you as you yeah. point out. Yeah, A lot has changed in the 10 years since For Your Entertainment. <laughs> um, and, and this is interesting because today, would there be any question if you're competing on a, a music competition show? 
and your gender identity or your sexuality isn't down the straight and narrow. Would you hide it for a second? I I think it is really different. Right. I think the times have changed. I mean, I think we, beyond just the queer community, it's like identity politics are like, we're steeped in it. We're in the social media age. That's like what everybody's about. They're like, well, what are you? Who are you? There's such a difference between, say, what you went through and the idea that you should think about your sexuality and your career and there's someone like Little Nas X. Yeah. Who came out on Twitter by saying, well, I, you know, some of you know and some of you care and some of you don't. And, and, and it was such a simple, like, this is who I am. And the times we're living in right now, I think especially the young people are kind of like, it's old news. Like, they just don't, it's not a big taboo thing anymore. Which is great. <laughs> I'm so happy. It's the way it should have always been, you know? It's the way that I always tried to function. It's the way that I always kind of saw the world, to be honest with you. You know, I grew up in a household where they were really accepting, really liberal. And then I went into the musical theater world, which is, you know, gay people everywhere. So it just really wasn't like ever a a thing. It was never really a roadblock for me. I didn't get bullied much. I mean, you know, maybe in seventh grade, a little bit of bullying, but kind of who doesn't get bullied in middle school. Um, I had it good. Um, I'm actually one of the lucky ones. I never really had to sort of explain my sexuality. I never had to sort of deal with bigots face-to-face or even, you know, over the internet. All of a sudden, when I was on American Idol, coming off of that show and being in the media, that's the first time I experienced a lot of this, like, oh, there certainly are a lot of people that aren't into this, that don't get it, that have fears and biases and, and, and hate in their hearts towards anybody that's different. That was the first time I experienced a lot of that energy. And just to remind people, because it was 10 years ago, it's not exactly something you were hiding. I don't think any of us watched you on American Idol and <laughs> said, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm really confused. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you also weren't advertising your sexuality. I remember thinking to myself, right when we did like the, the top 13 reveal, we had an event like on a carpet and there was media. And that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. The night before, some blog had found a bunch of photos of me and an ex-boyfriend from Burning Man, from all these events that we'd gone to, because we, he, you know, that was my first relationship, and we were kind of into that whole, like, subculture hippie, California hippie scene. So we were dressed up like freaks and making out and having a great time. And the pictures went public, and I was like, oh, well, okay. You know, and I remember I wasn't freaking out. I was like, well, there, there that is, you know. Okay, the internet, it's that's what it does. Um... And the publicist for Idol called me and she said, I just want you to know that this has happened. What do you want to do? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, it's up to you. I'm like, so you guys don't care, right? And she's like, no, we don't care. It's up to you, which was great. And it was really good to hear that off the bat, that there was no bias from them. And I said, okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's me. It's like, I'm not going to deny it. And so someone asked me about it on the carpet. I went, yep, that's me in the pictures. <laughs> Woo. didn't realize at the time that I needed to say I am gay because I thought well that's yeah I mean I'm making out with a guy I'm gay you know I don't know I just didn't I didn't realize that the the power and the need for the proclamation do you think there was a need for the or or, or was looking this your back business? on hindsight I'm like oh that would have been an interesting move I didn't have my head wrapped around what being a celebrity was yet and it's a whole other playbook it's a whole other set of rules thinking about how you look to the public you're I wasn't I wasn't that I wasn't thinking about that I'd never had to I was a theater kid that would like go to rehearsal and learn material and then when the lights came on on stage I put on a costume and I play a character like that was that was what I came from sure and uh also this was something you'd been looking for this kind of attention yeah but 
when it arrives, it's like, whoa. <laughs> and, and I don't think people, like, from the outside, I've just stood alongside it, right? I've stood alongside someone like you when a wall of cameras just arrive out of nowhere. And that does happen, <laughs> it's right? It's weird. It, yeah. It, like, you're, the you're, paparazzi thing is actually sort of died down because of social media. But I remember 10 years ago, it was intense. It was weird. It's just so all of a sudden there's a scrum of people. Whoa. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. And they all have cameras of different shapes and sizes. Yeah. And they're loud. Mm-hmm. And they're rude. A lot of them are anyway. It's to try to get a reaction, Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, they're doing their job. Right, right. Well, that's kind of you. It is their job. <laughs> I don't like the job, but it's, it's their job. But it, it's not really when you're, when you're thinking about this, when you're craving success or craving stardom. And I don't know which one you were craving. You tell me. No, I don't think I thought to myself, ooh, I want to get famous. That wasn't really. So what did you want? I wanted a shot. I wanted new opportunities. I wanted, you know, I'd kind of like, I'd been in the theater world. I was doing a musical in LA. And I remember my, the thing that kind of motivated me to feel dissatisfied with it was that I was in the chorus for, worked for them for over five years. And I was understudying the male lead and I couldn't seem to get promoted. Like one guy would leave, the guy that was playing the part, and I'd be like, okay, so am I up for it now? Nope. Another, they brought another guy in. Happened twice. And I was like, well, fuck this. What the fuck am I doing? You know, like, why am I not getting a break here? And so I kind of thought, I just need to go look for something else. And, and I knew that, that deep down my dream, my real dream was to make my own music and to be my own boss. And I thought, how do I do that? And to me, you know, the Idol audition was announced and I thought, well, I've been watching that show for a really long time. That would be cool. That would probably open some doors. Even within the theater world, it would probably open some doors. So, hey, let's try it. The theater world, it's not something you've gone back to. Not yet, but maybe someday. What does that mean? I'm not ruling it out. I mean, I love the theater. I, that's my. That's what I grew up doing. That's, I mean, these opportunities must come knocking every once there's in been a, a while. Few. Yeah, there's been a few, but it hasn't really been like the right thing at the right time. Because it's too, it's it's both the right thing and the right time. That I'm just trying matter. to think what the right thing would be. What's the sh- come on? What's the show you want to do? I don't think it's written yet. I want to do really? something new. I want to do. I want to originate something. I want to create something. I want to. I don't want to just be like the fourth guy that's played the role. Because you know how it works on Broadway too. They now they do like they open the show and then they, it's been running for a year and they want to keep selling tickets, so they put like you know so and so in and then they put so and so and then the line of of so and so so and so meaning particular particular people who have an audience that hasn't yeah. been to the show yet and sometimes it gets a little desperate some of the casting <laughs> so i just i don't want to be part of that system i kind of want to be something i'd rather create something with a director for the first time and a choreographer and a musical director and a cast and be a part of a something new i mean it's interesting we are seeing more new shows. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing a success around original music, say, from either Hamilton or The Greatest Showman. Yeah. Like, these are very successful albums. Huge, They're yeah. very different. Yeah. But one of them is close to that idea of, it's a movie, The Greatest Showman, but it's close to that idea of, hey, there could be an original Broadway show that might work for you. I could see you yeah. doing that. I, I It's something that I think might happen in the future. I mean, it's... I have so many friends that are in the theater. Um, some of my dear, dearest friends that I've had for years are like here in New York working. I think if it was the right thing at the right time, I would definitely be interested. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Snag a job is where America goes to hire 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. So I just want to ask a little more about Velvet Side A. Um, and, and first, we said Side B is coming. Yeah. And is Side B different than Side A? Is it a different mood, a different vibe? I think it's it's a little more arbitrary than that. I think the album is pretty cohesive, to be honest with you. The one thing it is not is it's not like oh these are B sides. They don't they're not as good. It's not it's not a that it's not a B side like that. It's just the other half. But it's not like side A is the up party side and side B is the mellow meditation side. Not necessarily, no. It's varied, like side A is. And like a vinyl album would be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Are you still recording for side B now? I think I have everything recorded. It's just not all quite totally finished. Uh, There's like two songs that are finished for, mm, maybe three that are finished for that side. You said that with this project, you were the one in the driver's seat. You're the A&R for this project. Yeah. Which has been a learning experience. And you told me about how Superpower came to be, but how did you go about finding the rest of the songs, the rest of the collaborators for yourself? I I definitely had a lot of help from my publisher, which is Warner Chapel. There's a woman named Katie Vinton who was very instrumental on this and set me up with a lot of amazing... I I basically had a meeting with her, played her some um, ideas, some other artists that I like, just to give her the idea of the direction I wanted to go in. And I had like a couple songs that I had kind of put together on my own like with other writers that I had I had found and she heard that heard the references and then put me in the room with a lot of great people so she definitely was instrumental on this whole thing and put you in the room for a, a lot of great people to sit down and work on on Music. writing yeah yeah producer writers sessions yeah and so what was the moment where things really clicked for you when did you know this is working when we had superpower that that was sort of like this is something I knew that it was a four-year process, so it's actually kind of fuzzy how it all, the chronological order of it all. But I met Steve Booker, who was really great, and was paired up with a writer named Kess Cross, and he comes from the R&B world, which I thought was really interesting. I said, "How do we, let's like lean into the soul a little bit, and he's a great writer, a great singer. So that was really an important collaboration. And Booker is like, he did the Duffy album, Rock Fairy, and he, so he's got this organic kind of, 60s soul Brit thing going on, which is great. And when you say it was a four-year process, was that a little more, shall we say, leisurely? Did you have more time to figure things out and experiment than yeah, you had in the past? Yeah, I kind of made sure I had the t- I took the time. Like, I, I didn't rush as a, as a point. And I also, you know, I also, in order to insulate my creativity and to do and to get what I wanted out of this, I had to make some business changes. I had to, I changed management. I changed labels. I changed, like I had to move around a bit, find where this would fit and where this would fly. And that was a bit of a process. That take, that's not easy. That's not quick. No. I mean, I think <laughs> anybody who's anybody who's ever changed anything, where you change apartments or houses or jobs or anything, it, it can be a little traumatic. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if trauma, I mean, it, it's just more of like a- Upheaval? Yeah, more of a sense of just, it just slowed things down a bit. I mean, it just was like an obstacle. Like it was like, oh, okay, we got to figure this out. Now I got to figure this out. And you know, the other thing too is that 
um, it's really easy for people in the business to sort of want to do the obvious, to take the lowest risk approach to things. Uh, and usually that's because of money. And usually it's people that do that. It's like a lack of imagination. <laughs> um, and so a lot of people that I've encountered that I actually didn't end up working with wanted to do just the obvious thing, like the pop top 40 formulaic. Oh, trap's really big now. You should put a trap beat on this song. I'm like, but I'm, that's not me. That That's not authentic. Yeah, I know that's trendy, but it's I, I don't want to do that, you know? And so I had to sort of push back on a lot of people. And what happens when you start pushing back on a lot of people is that they think, oh, he doesn't get it, or oh, he's difficult, or oh, he's not going to win because he's not doing what's trendy right now. And I'm like, well, so be it. That's funny. That brings <laughs> us to track two, Velvet Side A, The Stranger You Are. Yeah. The stranger you are, the more they want to put you in a box. Yeah, the, the stranger you are, they want to they keep you locked in the dark. The stranger you are, they're, they're going to try to tear you apart. It's funny, when I heard that, again, I thought, he gets to be whoever he wants, right? He's Adam Lambert. He already fought this battle. But it sounds a little bit like this was the battle to make the music that you wanted to make. Yeah, in a way, yeah. And I mean, look, some of this is like me having to kind of affirm it to myself. I went to a couple different writing sessions with great, great talented people where what we ended up with at the end was something that sounded just sort of like everybody else's song right now. I would like walk away from that and listen and be like, well, how am I so easily led? Why did I just fall into that? And that's, you know, has to do with a lot of, you know, you're in a room with strangers you haven't met before and you want to like, to just like go with the flow and you want to be positive and you want to like walk away having finished something and not saying no at every turn. So some of it's just trying to be a good team player, but yeah, it's just so, it's so easy to fall into the same thing that everybody else is doing. And it takes a little bit of extra work and discipline and sort of clarity in order to fight against that and do your own thing. Let me ask you about two other songs. Mm-hmm. Overglow. I'm familiar with Afterglow. <laughs> what is Overglow? One of the co-writers on there, Amy Cuny, came up with this word. Um, we actually wrote the lyrics of that song via text message. We had worked together previously. We, I did a writing camp in the south of France with a bunch of writers at a castle, which was really cool. Yeah, sounds, and, sounds like pretty tough work. Well, I mean, it actually sounds on paper like a glamorous thing, but the castle actually was like, there was no heat. It was freezing. It was dusty as fuck. They only had like shitty boxed wine. I'm sorry you only had shitty boxed wine it was in your not castle, as glamorous. Adam. It was not as glamorous as it sounds. But I worked with some incredible writers and I met uh, this woman named Amy Cuny. And she's very poet. Like She's like a poet with her lyrics, like sort of like throwback style, like bit cryptic, a bit interesting. And so we were, I had gotten this track from Butch Walker because I had been working with him a bit and he had this instrumental that he had started that I was obsessed with, with that bass line. And I was like, okay, I want to write to this. And, and just a side note, most of these songs were songs that were like developed in the room, like composed on the spot. This is the only and, and one. And Butch Walker's tremendously talented. He's used to, used to have a band called The Marvelous Three, if I remember yeah, right. he's brilliant. And he has such a catchy way with hooks and with that, Again, that sweet spot in between pop and rock. Yeah, and he's also like the sweetest, loveliest guy. He had this track that he had already started, which, um, and this is the only one of the songs that kind of came about this way. It's very interesting. So I had the instrumental. I had a session book with Emanike, who's a British R&B pop guy, queer, really fabulous, some hits under his belt. Got together with him, and he and I wrote this incredible melody to the song. And we had some like words in place, but I, I wasn't quite into them. And then I sent the song to Amy, having met her in France, knowing that she would come up with something really clever. And so we were texting back and forth. And I was like, yeah, I just want to, I kind of want to write. I just seen like a Black Mirror episode. And I was like, I want to write a, a song about how technology can kind of creep its way into a relationship. And how it can become like you're like in a, re a three-way relationship with the person and the technology. And so we started kind of riffing back and forth. I was like, what about if it's like we're just like visually describing like the screen and like how the, you're at night next to your partner in bed and there's this screen and like you can see this light of their screen. And she was like, 
we'll call it the overglow. And I was like, ooh, I like it. So he wrote the whole song, ironically, via text message. So you're writing about the effect of technology on our lives using technology. Yeah, yeah. And it's this really interesting lyric, and we co-wrote it back and forth on text, and I went into Butch with the lyrics, and he went, ooh, I like it, and, I, and we recorded it. And Lover Boy. <laughs> That's another one with Tommy English. I actually, was uh, that was written in Nashville. I went out there for a week, brought my dog. It was the first time my dog and I have traveled together which was really sweet. Wait, let's pause here. I love my dog. How, how long have you had this dog? Um, I had just gotten the dog about four months beforehand. Name? So, Pharaoh. Little Egyptian prince. King, Pharaoh. Um, he's a Chihuahua Basenji mix. He's about 15 pounds. And he sort of, he's kind of bipolar. Like in one minute, he'll be like super alpha- Guarding the guarding the castle, you know, he's very like barks at somebody making noise. He's very proud, and then the next minute he's like a like a lap dog pussy cat. He's very funny. So the two of you traveled to Nashville. We went to Nashville, um, and worked with Tommy for like a week in a studio that he had down there. He his buddy Angelo had a studio. Angelo's this guy that was like really instrumental in breaking Kings of Leon. Actually, he had all these amazing guitars in his studio and. And this guy named Gabe, uh, another co-writer that was there that Tommy knew. And we just, we did a handful of songs that week. And that one just felt great. We loved that one. You played the Oscars. Yeah. Are you in danger of running out of pinch me, this is real <laughs> moments? I don't know. Um, I, I loved that. That was, fuck, that was so surreal. Yeah, I, and I kind of had to downplay it to myself as it was happening because I, I, I knew the weight of it. So I sort of like... I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, in my head, you know, I kind of just talked myself down. You you tried to, yeah, whatever, the Oscars I had to, to yourself? I had to, or else I would have been freaking out. I mean, walking the red carpet, I was like, okay, this is a moment. Okay, there's a phenomenon, and I wonder if this holds true for you, where actors can get starstruck in front of musicians, uh -huh. and musicians can get starstruck in yeah, front of actors. I, I buy it. I believe that. And I'm, I love film and television. I love watching the art of actors and directors, and I love it. I'm a big movie, film, TV guy. I don't really read anymore. I watch. So I'm a big fan of a lot of actors, and to see them all out there in front of me was like, okay, this is, this is a big one. Who took your breath away? Well, seeing like Lady Gaga and Rami next to each other in the front row was kind of like super iconic, you know? Um, and obviously, you know, with Queen being there because of the film being nominated and all the amazing stuff that was going on around that and Rami, I'd met Rami a handful of times, did a scene with him in the movie. So like there was this inside track to him. And then also like I, I worked with Lady Gaga years ago on my first album. You know, I'm not, we're not like buddies, but like we've seen each other at a handful of different things and it's always a lovely... Uh, reunion. So I was like, I saw two people that I have like a point of reference with. And I also saw Pharrell out in the audience who I also worked with years ago. And Queen Latifah was by him. And I remember meeting her at his studio. And there was just people that I've kind of like encountered along the way. And and did that help ground you in the moment? Because you could look out and see folks you sort I of did knew? Not, I didn't look in the audience until mm. the end because I didn't want to get starstruck. I didn't want to wig out. So I... Just sort of focused on Brian and Roger because I've performed with them zillions of times and that's comfortable for me. And I just kind of looked at the lights, you know, just focus, focus on the lights. I kind of looked at it like almost like an acting exercise and that like just tell the story, tell the story, sell it. Thank you, man. I mean, thank you for giving us that insight uh, into your mind and yeah. into Velvet Side A. Thank you so much for being on uh, Inside the Studio. Thanks for having me. Inside the Studio is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today.